KRCL 90.9 FM. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. You're listening to Radioactive. I'm Chioma from Loud and Clear Youth Radio. This week, we are taking over Radioactive and we are beyond thrilled. Boys in the Hood, Crybaby, Blackbird. These are movies that we have contributed to a structure, a structure that many teenagers are a part of simply because of some decisions that they have made, the juvenile system. We hear about it in these movies and take it for what it is, truth. Even if we do not want to admit it, we all see these movies, articles and books and take them for what they could be and what they could not be, but nonetheless, we represent them as truth. It sticks into our minds as truth. That is what juveniles look like. That is how they behave. All of them are drapes and are downright terrified of the hip-shaking devil's music. Putting jokes aside, there is some validity to that. This is a fascinating thing because we don't see these teens in our everyday lives. They're in there, in that building that we pass when we're done with work, school, or from a date night, and we just look and wonder and come up with our own interpretations of our own conclusions. But how many of us know teens or children involved? Not just heard about them from a school that so-and-so are now in this position, but are actually close. When the world juvenile is brought up, words such as criminal, lowlife, delinquent, and lost cause are part of that image. Those words are seemingly accurate attributes to an individual who has simply gotten what was coming from them. The goal of the show, Juvenile System, looking past the building, is to make that building more malleable into something that doesn't scream pure evil and havoc, but humanizes the individuals juvenile juveniles that we have all fallen victim to in putting in a box. We will, of course, get to hear these teens and hear from an adult who is a community program manager at SpyHop who regularly interacts with these youths. But first, why did I pick this topic? What made this topic stick out to me? I have always been interested in the criminal justice system, law, exactly the precautions that come with assorting these individuals with sentences. I have always been interested in that. But I started to recognize that those people I was thinking in my head, those criminals, had a very certain look to them. Big. Muscular, rough, tattooed, but that isn't the case. Sure, there is a correlation between those attributes, but nonetheless, it isn't all. Many of them that get involved in the system aren't full-blown grown men and women. They are people my age, some a little younger, some a little older, who are committing such offenses. I then immediately started to look more into the juvenile system, watch some documentaries and come to terms with the fact that these are my peers who are at some level have the same struggles I have as a teenager, who share the same emotions I share, who's a kid just like I'm a kid. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm sharing this with you. Since I could not be at the juvenile center physically since I am not 21, I recorded some questions for them to answer with a somewhat pen pal interaction where the director of my program, Loud and Clear, went and shared them with Adam Sherlock, a man who has been involved with helping these youths for a very long time. Here are the clip of the responses. Please enjoy the rest of the show, looking past the building. 
what do you need what do you so we're recording now, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always like to just start it when someone's doing something like that. Just let it go for a minute. Okay. All right. Here we go. We're going to start with our first question. First word that pops into your head. First hmm. word pops into your head. School. Apple. Money. <laughs> All right. Let's get a little bit of introduction. What do you want people to know about you right off the bat? Hey, the first thing I want people to know is that I'm a calm, nonchalant person, you know? And I don't like people that get in my nurse. Uh, first thing I want people to know about me is that uh, I'm a boss. Uh, you know, probably the, yeah, I'm just a boss. Like, at all angles of the game, all aspects, I'm just a boss. I want people to know that I'm really famous. That I'm always going to hold it down no matter what. Okay, hold on. Everybody's trying so hard not to giggle, so let's back up a little bit. Is that for real what you want people to know about you, be yeah. honest? Yeah, bro. Yeah, my answer was sincere. I know it was. Yeah. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to these two. Nah, my answer was sincere because I'm just a boss. I feel I'm like a boss. boss, it translates to everything, you know? If you're a boss, you're a winner. You gotta like, you gotta, when you hear the word boss, you gotta expand off of that word. So I think boss, they winner. You know, I, everything I do, I'm a winner. Anything, I'm a boss. And not, not to put too fine a point on it, but if, if all those things were true, would you be in here? No comment. <laughs> wanted to be something when we were younger. What did you want to be? I wanted to be a bank manager and a astronomer. How old were you then? I was like, Six, seven, yeah. Uh, me, I always wanted to be a musician, like an artist. Ever since I was a kid, I always liked music. Be a boxer. A boxer? Yeah, because I like to fight when I was younger. Got hands. What confuses you? To be honest, trying to get the concept of reality. Do you think that that's extra hard to try and wrap your brain around when you're incarcerated? Yeah. Um, what confuses me is religion. Because, uh, like, I don't know, it's just confusing, bro. Because there's so many religions, then, like, Facts. me, like, me, I, I believe I'm a, like, I'm a fairly strong Christian, right? So I'm reading, I, I like, I study the Bible and things like that, right? And then, like, like, y'all know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is the way it was. But then, you know, I'll read somebody, I'll, or like, I'll hear about somebody else's religion, and it sounds just as real as the Bible, you know? So I'm like, dang, what really was? Or like, how did these people even get all these ideas in the first place? Or like, do religion really matter? How would you describe a friend? A friend? Hmm. I say a friend is somebody that looks out for you and has values and morals. And like, you know, I don't like people just being like, you know what a yes man is? Yeah, I don't want people around me that just agree to everything I say, you know? I think friends, somebody that loves you, at the same time, they hold you accountable, like, 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 actually hold you accountable, like, every small thing you do, if, if they know it's not right, or if it's not true, hold, like, I would want you to hold me accountable for that. Like, uh, to me, a friend, like, you should be able to argue with your friend, you know? Like, friends should be able to argue with you about things that he or she thinks you're doing wrong, so I think friends, somebody that's loyal and loves you at the same time somebody that'll hold you accountable 
What do you think of that? I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> I saw you. I saw you staring off into the distance. I'm like, he's not going to remember what the question was. Uh, just thinking about on the outs, like what your what your friend makeup is going to look like. Like, is it? Are you going to? Or do you feel like that you're going to be able to still stay friends with people who are maybe still involved in some stuff that that you need to kind of keep your your head out of? You know. Uh, to be honest, yeah, no, you feel me? Because I feel like being locked up, you know, I seen who's real and who's fake, and a lot of things that you know that I, I wouldn't want to believe, you feel me? But it, it's true, like, like this idea that on the outs, a lot of times decisions that you make and things that you're doing, it's because you're in a group of people, yeah, and so. And not even if they're influencing you, but more just like you're not alone, you're around a bunch of people. And then all of a sudden you're in a spot like this where it's like you're alone. I mean, you're not, but, you but know, yeah, you are. you're not with the people that like you're used to, people that like you accumulated to. Yeah, the people that always say that those are going to be there for you. <laughs> yeah, now all of a sudden you're like in a room by yourself like, okay, well, let's yeah. see. Where talking, you at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What am I doing? Where like, you at? Yeah, exactly. We're talking about like how people have like influence around you. Like sometimes you got like some people – just think they got to prove something because they're with a lot of other people, you know. But, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. What do you think love represents? Mine is loyalty. I values everything. That's what comes to my mind. Because love, you could love people in many different ways. Like, you can show in action. You can show mentally, physically. But, yeah, that's my definition of love. Like, when it comes to my loyalty, I values everything. Some of a lot of people don't say it's patience. I think about love, think about patience, because, like, everybody, nobody's going to stay the same their whole life. So, like, mm. if I patience kind of comes with loyalty, because if you're going to be loyal, you got to be patient. You got to be able to wait, like, through anybody's phases and things like that. You have to be able to wait. You have to be patient, wait for them to adapt, get through this. When I think with love, I think respect. What do you like to do? I'm, like, I don't know. I like going outdoors and playing games, you know, video games, going out to eat, you know, and... I like traveling too. I like to make music. That's about it. Like when I'm out. Oh my. What, what about you? I like to kick it. I like to. I like to be outside. I like to post stuff, touch stuff. I like to be outside. I mean, I'll be writing music, but it's not the same as sitting in front of a microphone and recording yeah, to the beats I want to record to. Like playing video games, it's not the same because we only got a select variety of what we could do. And like going outside, we got a little courtyard. We can't go, you know? So, it's just, it's not the same. And going out to eat, the only place we're eating is the cafeteria, but in our unit. Yeah. She's not asking a lot of questions about any of your guys' experience in being incarcerated, which makes me feel like what she wants to get across in her piece is... We're the, I feel like she wants we're normal. Like we're the same. Yeah, You're all yeah. kids, right? Yeah, it's so. there's no there's no real difference here. Yeah. What do you think about that attitude or that idea? Is that I mean, important? I respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I don't, I don't know who this person is, but I respect, respect it. it. Yeah. Because you shouldn't eat like because there's on most of us at least there's a reason like we did what we did. Then the thing is like. Everybody who hasn't done what we've done, they're like, oh, we're perfect. But I promise, like, most of those people, if they were in our same shoes, probably would have done yeah, something done around the same, the same thing. thing. Yeah. It's just being human. You got to adapt in a situation. 
What advice would you give to those who are struggling right now? I'll say, you know, there's always sunshine after the rain. I try to say, if you think about it, oh, I'm struggling. You know, you're just digging your hole deeper because, like, you are, like, your, your emotional being is what you think. What? So, like, I say just don't, like, try to think to yourself, oh, I'm struggling. Like, if things ain't going to get better. You know, if you think deep, if you think, you're, if you think more, like, down, then you're going to get more down. So I try to think, like, more forward, like, what's coming next? What are you going to do when you're struggling? Like, try to have a plan, you know? If this doesn't work, then have another backup plan and just keep going. I mean, I say just keep your head up and don't feel sorry for yourself. I tell them, uh, I tell them, like, I don't know, like, find that dog in you, know, like, if you just sit there and be sorry for yourself, then you're going to be a bum, you know? Like, you can't do nothing about it or whatever. Whatever uh, situation you're going through. Don't live life in regrets. Do what you want to do. You feel me? Because why wait? You feel me? Like, and what happens if you do something in, that you do regret? Like, that's what I'm doing. That's what most of us are doing. You feel me? We can't go back in time and fix our, fix our little mistake. You feel me? So, like, at this point, we are just pushing forward and stuff like that. Trying to, whatever happened in the past, happened in the past. Trying to move ourselves better than, you know? To, to, for me, it kind of was like that, like, right off the bat. Cause you know, like, I was lucky enough to like the whole my whole situation was. You know, I committed my crime exactly one month before I turned 18, and even crazier, like, if I'd committed that, if I'd get caught doing something like that back home, I'd be doing like 10 to 15 years right now. Mm. I got caught in Utah. Utah gives people chances, so like from the jump, they told me, "Oh, uh, you committed crime." They told me, "Oh, we taking you." I thought they was taking me to <laughs> the county so the or something. Of, yeah, they told me to they told right? me the juvenile. You know what I'm saying? So like, then they told me, "Oh, you just gonna do." This all you gonna do? I'm like, dang, that's all I'm gonna do. Yeah, they removed me to adult court. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna be like, they told me to get comfortable and all this stuff. So I was like, damn, I was just thinking to myself, like, I should have done this. I know, like, I was kind of angry at myself. You know, I was angry at the people around me. But like, later on, like, I, I opened up my mind. And I was like, like I said, some things just happen for a reason. But, mm -hmm. You know, but I learned how to move forward, and move on. When I was still 16. You know, I got locked up, everything like that. At first, like, I was angry and stuff, but then, you know, I just accepted the fact, you know, because, like, since, like, since 16, since when I was 16, I've been, like, they charged me as an adult and everything. Told me, or they told me, oh, you could, you gonna, you gonna, you could do life and stuff like that in prison. And, like, at first when they told me that, like, I was worried, but then at the second, when I thought of it, like, still, sometimes when I think about it, I just think, like, damn. Like, shoot, if I'm about to do life, you know, I ain't really tripping. So right now at this point, I just like, just let me, just give me one more chance so I can get out and do what I got to do. And then from there on, if I get locked up again, you know, they tell me I got to do life, then shoot, let it be, you feel me? I know my mom and them is going to suffer them. My little buddies is going to suffer them, but not the end of the day. Thanks for that. Okay, we're going to keep going. What emotions have you felt most often recently? Just anxious. You know, I've been happy too. But like, there's like a background emotion to it. Every emotion I have, there's always a background emotion, you know? Like, it's just anxious. Why do you think that there's that background emotion? Cause like, I'd be happy and I'd be thinking, but then something just hits me like, you know? I don't know what it is, but it just always hits me. I need depression, you feel me? Cause like, I probably might not show it, but you know, like, I've been, I've been by myself for like a while. Like my eyes, how I see, I've been by myself for a little while now. There be kids that come in locked up only for like, you know, like, say like a week, a month, and then they talking about, oh, they depressed, they this, they that, like, you feel me, like, 
That ain't nothing. You, feel me? That's <laughs> you don't know what time, you're talking though. about. There is always a light at the end of the tunnel. How much do you believe that? In my opinion, I believe it a lot. But in my, in my situation right now, I feel like I feel like I still can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You feel me? And I feel like it's going to be like that for a little while. But you think it's there? Hopefully I, th hopefully I think it is. No, but I don't know when I'm going to be able to see that light. I don't I don't believe that because uh, she, she said exactly there's always a light in the tunnel. Me and my situation, yeah, I believe there's light in the, in the tunnel for my situation, but I'm just saying there's always a light in the tunnel. Like, no, like, that's just one of those things that everyone says, oh, you can always get over anything. Bad things can only happen so long. But I know my dad had a horrible life. His light at the end of the tunnel was dying of a heart attack and an apartment still being broke. He was broke his whole life almost. Like, I never got a chance to, like, I want to do big things for him, you know, like, I want to, like, you know, blow up and, you know, be able to give him money, not have a little paycheck, paycheck. Like, since he was a kid, he struggled because the situation he was put in. So, like, no, there's some people have horrible lives their whole life. Like, that's not true at all. I don't think that's true. Mm. What do you think? Like he said, like, it depends on the situation, but I feel like that saying is just to get people on their feet, you know, just to make people feel better. But most of the times, you know, people don't get to see that light or experience it. I feel like it's more of like a religious thing or like, you know, if you're mentally, if you're in the right spot, I don't feel like it's always, oh, at the end of the light at the tunnel. I feel like people misconsume that, like, they miss, like, information that, you know, like, say like this, the end of the light at the tunnel is like, oh, I'm going to be out of my struggles, you know, I'm going to be rich, you know, I'm going to have whatever I want. But nah, like, that's what a lot of people think. But the reality, it's like being comfortable where you're at. So, like, you know, making yourself peace with yourself. I feel like that's what they get confused in that saying. It's interesting. It kind of circles back to what we were talking about before with religion, which is like, if you're going through something really hard, but you're convinced that God is testing you, then you want to to be in that struggle and get through it, right? Because you feel like you're being tested. But if you don't think it's a test and you just think it's one more horrible thing happening mm -hmm. to you, it's really easy to give up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Name an experience when it was difficult, but nonetheless, you chose to forgive someone. That's kind of hard. Because like, I'm not really the forgiving type, you know? Like, I never had my parents tell me, oh, you got to forgive your brothers. You know, I wasn't really, like, introduced to that as growing up. You know, like, a lot of times you just had to fight it out or, like, you know. But, yeah, it's kind of hard forgiving somebody. But, like, you know, if I, like, if I understand more in detail, because I had to grow to get to that part where I started forgiving. Because, like, when I was younger, you know, growing up, I wasn't forgiving nobody. But I said, like, it's more of a self-taught experience because, like, I, I learned how to forgive because, like, if you hold grudges for somebody, that's going to eat you more than, you know, than the person that did that to you, did something to you, you know? Say if, like, somebody were to do something to you, that person's probably just going to feel fine and not care. But you, the victim, oh, you're going to be thinking, holding grudges, you know, like, oh, I can never forgive him. So, like, I just say that's the self-taught experience. For me, like, when things, like, when people have done things to me, it's like, you know, I don't really forget them because I don't need to forget them because I don't really, I don't sit there and do, oh, he did this to me. Uh, uh, like, that's not me. Like, 
I move on. Like I don't think I've ever had to forget anybody in my life. Like actually, I don't, yeah. You I just like, let it go. Yeah, I don't like, just sit there and dwell on things. I feel like I have to. Go ahead. Do you do get backs instead? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's that's why I am where I am. You know. Hey, I, another thing too, I feel like pride. Yeah. You know? A lot of people hold their pride. You know, they don't put their pride to the side. Like. And that's what happened. That's the problem on both sides. You know, the person that did and the victim, you know. Because people want clout. People want, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, if you go apologize to somebody, you're going to look weak. You know, but that's something small-minded people get. So that's interesting. You think that, like, is, let me ask you, do you think that that's a skill that you need to learn moving forward since you, you just said that that was part of the reason why you're here? I mean, no, because that situation, I mean? that's to the extreme. Like, you know, I was shot and my partner was killed. That's not going to happen every, you know, that's not going to happen often, you know. I feel like the thing is, like, it's not like I don't forgive people and then I hold a grudge. There's no grudge, no nothing. Like, it just, it's just over. It happened, it's over. Like, you just let it go? I mean, yeah, like, I've been, I've been around the streets since I was, like, you know, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm not from the suburbs either, you know, like, mm. if I'm, yeah, like I've been seeing stuff like this since I was a kid. I guess I'm like kind of immune to it. Like, I don't know. What about you? How do you feel about forgiveness? To be honest, like, whatever happened, happens, you know? Like, I, I don't like really forgive. You feel me? Cause like, something some, some could happen to me, you know, like what, like what Bro said. You feel me? I ain't gonna dwell on it. I'm gonna let it be. You feel me? But like, when time come back around, you feel me? I'm gonna do, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get mine back, you feel me? Like, whatever you did to me, it's gonna be cool in the moment, but later on down the line, you know, I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna get mine back. That's just how I think. Let me ask a flip side question of that. Is there, is there someone that needs to forgive you? <laughs> I mean, Finally. Uh, shout out to my ex girlfriend. So, yeah, <laughs> you say, I'm sorry, man. You see what I'm saying, right? It's a very, when you put it that way, it's a very different thing, right? I mean, um, like, um, like, I, I, is, is the question, do I care? If, is it like kind of like, do I care if they forgive me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, is it like, does it matter? Or, oh, then, nah, I mean, it probably matters for them because they're probably sitting around holding a grudge on me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing other things, but for me, it doesn't matter. Like, if you forgive me, good, if not, good. Like, I feel I like, forget, like it's just whatever for me. It's the situation, you know, like it's something where to happen where they did something to you, but you let it go and they're still holding grudges because you got back, you know, like getting back. You know, I feel like that's their problem because why would you do that in the first place and then want an apology after? So it's like. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like why you gonna, like they say, like why you gonna punch the hornet's nest and then get stung and want an apology <laughs> from the hornet? Yeah. <laughs> so in that analogy, are you the hornet's nest? Nah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> See, I just come up with analogies. <laughs> That's okay. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on. Do you have any dreams? Yeah. Hell yeah, we we all got dreams. I say. One of my main dreams, you know, it's like, like they say, you know, living the American dream. <laughs> like, like a white picket fence, like a suburb, suburban house? Yeah, I want to have my kids in the backyard playing in the pool, you know. <laughs> okay. I want to have that nice car in the driveway, you know, make sure my mom's good, she's not working. 
and make sure my family's good, you know, and I have a wife, get to travel, you know. But one of my main dreams is being successful without living a life with no regrets. That's one of my main dreams. Hmm. That's what I think about every day, you know. Like every day is a day of decisions, but that decision falls upon you. Uh, for me, it's like, you know, all those same things, like, you know, the basic things I'm saying, we're going to say, you know, I, I want to be able to give my mom whatever she wants, my girl that she wants to take care of my brother, things like that. But, like, specifically, like, I want to be a musician. Like, I want to, like, be able to live off of being a musician. Like, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Probably, like, really shit's green. <laughs> I want to win a Grammy. Now I'm you gonna I'm gonna win a Grammy. You're, 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 I, I'm going to win a Grammy. You heard it here first, folks. I'm going hey, he, gonna, he gonna bring the Grammy back to his hood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going with a Grammy. You taking it back to your 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 hood in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. like twenty one, like twenty one. <laughs> I'm going with a Grammy. You know, to be wealthy, make a lot of money. Feel me? I'm trying to get I'm trying to get to the point where my mom don't gotta work no more. Feel me? She so just chill at the crib, stuff like that. I'm trying to be able, I could buy my little buddies and them whatever they want. You know. And yeah, buy to my mom whatever kind of car she want, do whatever she want. How do you make that? How do you make that money? Uh, make music. Make music. Yeah, or okay. like you feel me? I want to have my own business and stuff like that too. Hey. I want to do. I just want to like. I just want to do some. I just want to kind of do like basically almost everything. Feel me? Like I feel like I could on the job like a couple mistakes or whatever, you know. And then from there on, you know, I probably, I want to be like I want to be in like movies and stuff like that. Like so forth, you feel me? Have my own business. I don't do all this stuff, you know. And that's my goal. You feel me? I'm mm. trying to do all this stuff. Okay. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like another dream I was thinking about would be cool. Like I made like a a docu drama about you know just growing up <laughs> about your life. Yeah, like but okay. <laughs> stories, you know, like kind of like a boys in the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like more modern, you know, and just like not from my story. Like my story would be one of the stories in there, and like it just transports. It trans to another spot in the valley just another story and boom 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 you know you know i don't know I don't Whoa, know. what were you it's gonna just, say it's dumb to me because like you know not really that much stuff happens out here like that you know like people think oh it's utah you know you go to like colorado or something be like oh it's colorado you know there's nothing but skiers you know but yeah you're saying that both and there's people that live in colorado you know they're probably gonna get offended and come come denver's know? a denver's yeah, a real ass city yeah, you know yeah, <laughs> There's like, I don't even know, like, I don't even know how much colored people, the percentages, but I know there's not many that much, you know, colored people compared to the majority LBS population that we have out here that we're known. All right, let's see. I think we might have one more question. I am fill in the blank. I am, I'm the future and I'm intelligent and I'm valuable. Me. I'm as real. I'm I'm real. Feel me. Whatever the situation is, I feel like I'm always gonna be able to hold my own. You feel me? I'm a superstar. That's the last thing you want people to know about you. I'm a superstar. Yeah. You already first. All right. Thank you guys. That yeah. was awesome. That was awesome. Um, I am so. We are so grateful and so thankful for these guys to answer these questions so willingly um, and so real and so vulnerable. It was amazing to hear and I am forever grateful for this opportunity that I have been able to have just because I am part of Loud and Clear Youth Radio. I am so happy that I'm able to be part of this. That was amazing.
Um, so we do have next in the program my interview with Adam Sherlock, the man who was kind of interviewing those kids since I couldn't be there physically. We're going to hear me and him have a one-on-one interview, but just in a second, we're going to have a little break, play a song, and then we'll jump, jump straight to that interview. So I'm going to be here, but just in a little bit. Get back with my show. This is Loud and Clear Youth Radio, juvenile system looking past the building. See you in a bit. When the night has come and the land is dark Rock Camp SLC needs musicians, teachers, social workers, activists, and community builders for its summer camp sessions in June and July. Help girls, non-binary, and transgender youth learn an instrument and write a song with their bands. Volunteer details at rockcampslc.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow. Spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Hey everyone, I am Chioma. You're from Loud and Clear Radio. I am here with Adam Sherlock. Uh, my name is Adam. Um, I am a teaching artist mm-hmm. at SpyHop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do podcasting. I teach a lot of different things, but for this what we're talking about here. I do podcasting mm-hmm. uh, with incarcerated youth at mm-hmm. different detention centers in the Salt Lake Valley. All right. So what got you started working in the juvenile system? Um, I was 21 years old and a friend of mine worked at a halfway home for teenagers. Um, called It's called an independent living facility. And uh I had just lost my job at a record store, I think. And he was like, oh, you can pick up some grave shifts. And so I did that for a while, didn't have any interest in working with kids and then did a day shift once. And some people were like, oh, you're really good at this. Maybe you should do that for a living. And (laughs) that was like 22, 23 years ago. So yeah, I kind of always worked in excuse me, behavioral hospitals for young people, Mm -hmm. uh, group home settings, things like that. And then I had the opportunity uh, to come and work at Spy Hop uh, and take my artistic side and and use it working with young people who are incarcerated. That's awesome. Okay, so what common misconceptions do people have about the system? Part of it is a big misconception or a big thing that I think people don't think about is that the vast, vast majority of incarcerated young people were victims first. Hmm. Um, That the circumstances that they came from were really, really challenging. You know, you're talking about, in most cases, like lots and lots of abuse, poverty. You know, there's lots of circumstances that led people to make choices that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Most of these kids suffer from different kinds of post-traumatic stress disorder, right? They have very intense uh, triggers around acts of violence, growing up with drug addiction, you know, growing up in broken homes, you know, like missing parents or parents who are also incarcerated or dead. And so I think that a lot of times we don't show the empathy that these circumstances maybe deserve. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so did you have those misconceptions starting out? Are you, did you have some of those? I think I did. Yeah. I think back when I very, very first started out when I was still pretty fresh into it, I think Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really realize what these young people had gone through. And I think that over the years, just picking up experiences along the way and, you know, I think that it, it's helped me gain a ton of insight into what these what these kids go through. So just gaining experience helped you get out of that mindset, maybe, of those? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, like hearing other people's stories, I mean, I think that's what when we do the Sending Messages podcast, that's sort of the point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you had the opportunity to actually like hear somebody else's story you can't help but empathize, right? As humans, that's what we want to do the mm-hmm. second that we hear someone else's story. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's really the key. Mm-hmm. Could you like maybe say a, a different a time, like specifically about when you started seeing these kids, teens, for what they were, um, their experiences are not just another juvenile. Like how do you individualize these kids and not just see them as another juvenile in the mm-hmm. system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I remember having, I remember, I mean, this, I remember this happening multiple times where, in really discussing maybe a story that a young person was writing, a, a piece of art that they were working on. And I think we always, I always try to kind of couch it as like, yes, this is your story, but you're also writing like a good radio story. Mm-hmm. So like, and that's a way for them to kind of separate themselves a, a little bit from the actual experience to be able to talk about it. Um, but I think when it comes back to those kids talking to me about like, well, okay, we'll see you next week. And they go back into their rooms and I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this room is the little cinder block room that you spend all the rest of your time in, right? Like Mm -hmm. that there's a magnetic locking door on it and you see that like their bed is this little mattress on top of like a slab of concrete and you're like, oh yeah, like you are locked up in this situation. It's like, it's very sobering. I think to, to, to actually kind of step back and be like, oh yeah, they, like I'm able to go out there, visit them. We're able to like make music and tell stories and do all these different things. But at the end of the day, like they're still they're locked still there, you know? And I think that I've done this so long. Sometimes I don't ever forget it, but sometimes it just becomes background noise. And mm-hmm. I'm like there to work with the kids. But then I have to be like, oh yeah, you're in the midst of like your life. And like, I, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my former students over the years, I've done this at Spy Hop since uh, 2009, and a lot I have several former students who have passed away that you know from drug addiction or they took their own lives or gang violence, because it casts a really long shadow. And even though they were able to get some help when they were teenagers, they ended up in the adult system like they didn't make it out, well. you know, and like that's really hard because I really, really care about these kids. That's why I do it. But yeah. You know, it's like, that's also a total reality is that like they end up in the system, but it's because like their lives are really complicated and really, really tough. Mm-hmm. People who people see all the Juvie, me- Juvie movies, like I mentioned earlier before, do you think those mm-hmm. movies, TV shows, even if they're most of the time inaccurate, it still gives a needed light to the system? Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I think that any, I think any time that you can bring more attention to to the system, or even what happens before the system, I'm thinking of your your. In fact, 
this is again in the conversation with the with the boys I just did. We, this came up too, and they referenced uh, Boys in the Hood, right? And uh-huh. talked about this idea of sort of like even just these stories of here's how complicated it can be to be a young person who's at risk of these things, right? That that uh, machismo kind of like macho. Uh, masculinity thing that, that you were talking about. It's like, that's very real, right? And a lot of kids, I think, feel like they have something to prove. I think a lot of kids who maybe feel different, you know, we have uh, in the conversation that I just did with my guys, all three of them had at least one parent who uh, was from another country who was a refugee, mm-hmm. right? And so like, if you're a, a little boy growing up, already maybe feeling like you're different, you might be willing to engage in way more risky behavior to, to feel fit more in. Yeah, to fit in. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that that does happen. I think that's real. Like, and it doesn't even have to necessarily look like peer pressure. You might be ready to just do it. Like, yes, that is true. I want to hang out with you guys. Like I will do whatever you want me to do in yeah. order to fit in, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I remember feeling like that too. That's the thing. That's a completely universal feeling. That is yeah. right. That's not, that's not set up. Nope, for just one it's not. Kid. Like nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we do, we've all done that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, you know? And I think, I think that's the big thing that I, that, most of the kids I work with want people to know too, is that it's like, yeah, things got really rough for me and I made some really poor decisions, but I was just on the road that all kids are kind of on where Mm -hmm. all kids engage in really risky behavior to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. For some people that's a two, for other people that's a nine, you know, (laughs) like it just kind of depends. And and this is all a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's not only, it's a, you have to take in mind, like what you said before, where they're the environment, how the schools that yeah. they have to go to. Who who in your life, uh, you know, do you have a support system in your life? Do you mm-hmm. have a lot of love and respect being shown to you? Do you have that for your family members? I mean, all of these things. It's your little scoreboard that you can go down, right? Mm-hmm. And do you can tick yes or no on them. And I think that when you have people who are experiencing a lot more, I don't know if hopelessness is the right word, but they're just, it's the idea of maybe becoming incarcerated isn't completely alien because you've seen it happen so much in your life. I think that that's- That's also, right, that also- You know, thing, yeah. that's its own trauma. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so I need my segment looking past the building because that is what happens. Um, mm. be around these centers and start to think all sorts of things when we pass by or whatever. Um, so what do you think that people can do right now at this instant to actually look past the building? What kind of things could they do right now? Um, I think, are you familiar with the term NIMBY? No, I'm not. Not, not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. Okay. Right. And so these centers, mm-hmm. when these centers pop up, whether they be incarceration facilities, whether they be group homes, whether they be, you know, again, independent living, halfway homes, all that kind of stuff. Um, when they build new ones, invariably the neighborhood that they build them in, people are like, no, not in my backyard. We don't want that here. Right. Like put it someplace else. And what they almost always fail to think of is these are your kids. These are the kids from your neighborhood. These are not, these are not like weird, like uber criminals that came from some other planet. Like they came from your neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's who these young people actually are. And so that's a great starting point is to say, actually this happens all the time 
And I've known, I've known several people who work within the system, whether that be through the Utah State Board of Education, through Juvenile Justice Services in Utah, um, who got involved because their own child went through the court system. Their own child got caught up in some stuff, right? And so they went through the system. And that those people went, oh my God, I finally know what this is like because I always thought that, oh, they must be really bad parents if their kid is getting locked up. And it's like, no, like sometimes this is just life. Like sometimes kids are afraid to talk to their parents about the crazy stuff they're going through until it's too late and someone's been hurt or God forbid killed, right? And all of a sudden those parents are like, oh wow, okay, these, this is real, right? Mm -hmm. And they aren't someone else's kids, they're your kids. Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, they're your kids, right? And then how about for teenagers or like college who don't have like kids that they're just like yeah. single, what could they do? Like, what do you think they could? I think that for young people, mm -hmm. it's, I've heard so many stories from my students over the years where they didn't realize how bad things had gotten until they actually got that bad. Like they didn't see the kind of slow slide down to real criminal activities that had real consequences. And that once that happened and that they were like, oh, then you got arrested and then now you're sitting in court and now there's a judge actually telling you how long you might be facing being incarcerated and that you might be being tried as an adult. You might be going to the federal penitentiary, like all mm -hmm. these different things. Like all, that's when sort of the clouds part and the sun shines through and they're like, oh, uh oh, right? Like this just got super real. I feel like that be aware of your surroundings. Think about the fact again, that it's like, these are not, these are regular kids who got caught up in stuff, right? These are kids who like went to the high school you go to, you know what I mean? Like they're there. It's again, it's not, this stuff is happening in people's backyards. Like there, there are kids who are, it's not something and to that's distant and doesn't have anything to do with no doesn't affect. Right. No. I mean, every, right. Like all these kids are the ones who are like selling drugs on Snapchat to other kids at their high school. Right. Like it's not, it's, it's not this really far away concept and the gangs aren't far away, like none of it's far away. All of it exists in, within the tapestry of the lives we already live. And so it's really easy for it to blow up in kids' faces. I think it's a matter of just thinking about like, okay, what are the risks I'm actually taking? And what am I willing, how much of my life am I willing to sacrifice for the risks I'm taking? Um, so let's get into the problems a little bit. People kind of recognize that there are things that don't play out as well as they should be in the system. Um, people can recognize that the system has problems with, I think a lot of the times it came out in the horizon with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. um, so could you specify what some of those problems are, things that detention centers could do better on? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because, again, I worked in the system when I was younger and that's really where I built out sort of my own personal opinion about the incarceration systems and... I would never want to work within them again. And that's just my own personal preference because of the way that I felt about um, the way it made me feel as, as a person working within those mm. systems. Um, whereas now being able to work for an arts organization that gets to go in and work with those kids is way more in my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tough because I think that a lot of these kids do find the support that they've been really lacking with the staff 
in these places. That being said, like, yeah, I think that the, I think that there are huge problems with the system. I have no idea how to fix them. I don't know. You know, I don't <laughs> right. I, like, that's the thing is again, like I talked about this gray area. It's like both things are also true. Like there is systemic like inequities and racism that exists, which is the reason why we do see sort of who gets not given a second, third, fourth, fifth chance and just thrown into in the incarceration and system and who does like that's completely real. Just like the fact that like these, you know, the kids I've worked with over the years, like the vast majority of them have like committed really serious offenses and they need a lot of help. Do I, am I qualified to say that the help they're getting is what they need? No. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's such a complicated topic when it comes to what what it should look like, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I have very conflicting feelings about it because, yeah. well, because I've, I don't like the incarceration system, but I also want to be able to have access to work with these kids. And so it's really important for a place like Spy Hop, at least right now, to work within those systems because that's how we gain access to working with those kids. So should there be more like Spy Hop stuff around the? I think so. Country? I think I think arts programming, yeah. and you know, we the the Utah State Board of Ed has been has done really good about offering like extracurricular programming to kids who are incarcerated. Yeah. There's tons of opportunities for them and they're good about funding those opportunities. So you have greenhouses and you have culinary arts programs and you have spy hop and you have like the bike collective, like helps kids <laughs> like, heard, make yeah. bikes and mm -hmm. there's a lot. And I will say as someone who's worked within this field for so long, like that's Super different than the way it was a decade ago or two decades ago. Like so, when you first started. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there, I mean, it. Yeah, we're in a way better position of there being arts initiatives and creative initiatives for kids who are incarcerated. We're in a way better position now. I think that the ideas around restorative justice rather than punitive is way better can you, than it can, used to be. Can you um? Elaborate on what restorative justice is. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're really looking at how do we, rather than steeping this young person's experience in punishment, we are going to say this timeline that we're setting for this person is for there to be opportunities for therapy, opportunities to foster empathy, opportunities to do victim impact work, opportunities for these young people to really thrive in these environments, right? Whether that be um, doing early college classes, uh, learning a trade. And again, learning, learning how the impact of the crimes that they committed affected both themselves, their families, as well as the families of their victims. Like it's, it's a more holistic approach and it's a super lofty goal. Now, how well is it working? That I don't totally know. Like, I don't know the nuts and bolts of the way in which uh, individual facilities handle that stuff. But I know that that's what they're reaching for now, <laughs> as opposed to it being more of a punitive uh, punishment-based Especially system. for kids. I mean, they're kids. They're not, I mean, their brain, first of all, their brains aren't fully developed right. when they make these decisions. Yep. Um, second of all, I feel like they're also... Just, I don't know. They're just kids. I don't see how you can go into um, sentencing people who have so much else that 
so much potential. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's always been, I think when it comes to how the justice system works with young people, it's been an always evolving target. And I think a lot of times that does have to do with science, like as they discovered more about like, yeah, kids, teenagers brains are silly buddy, right? Like Mm -hmm. they haven't like fully formed yet. And that's, I think that as those kinds of findings came out, that went a really long way. Um, And then I think just also this idea of like, well, what is like, what is it we're trying to do here? Are we trying to lower recidivism rates? Are we trying to keep our, you know, quote unquote streets safe? Are we trying to uh, rehabilitate somebody who could become like a, you know, a, a worthwhile member of society or whatever? I think, I think it's really important to every couple of years ask those questions again within the system and say, are, are we closer to that than we were five years ago? And you say that you guys were, like you said, the 20 years ago was a whole different. I think so. Yeah. I mean, again, that's just, and that's just my one person's opinion. Like as, as someone who works within the arts, trying to work with these kids, like Mm -hmm. the attitudes are different. I think we have way more access than we had before. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's, I mean, we kind of already gone into it, but let's get into more of the future. Um, how do you see the juvenile system looking like 10 years from now, 15 years, 20 years? I don't know. I mean, I think that they, so there was a house bill that was passed a couple of years ago that really altered dramatically uh, the pathways that young people who had committed crimes, it, it's it's really dramatically changed uh, what incarceration already looks like. So enough so that like, at a lot of these places, like there's whole wings that are closed down now because like where they used to bring those kids in. Now those kids are doing like daytime detention at their high school, or they're in like a special track in at, you know, a a program for probationary period at their school, like an early intervention program, something like that. There's a ton more of those than there were six years ago. And it's because they passed this house bill that where they were really trying to lower the overall amount of kids who are even within the system. Um, and so they've made a lot of changes that way. And they've closed down facilities because they didn't have enough kids, which is great. And so I see it continuing to move in that direction. Um, I think that for kids who, really have a lot of needs, whether that be because they're violent offenders, because they also have really substantial drug and alcohol issues. Like there's a number of reasons why I think that there'll always be facilities that have locks on their doors for a certain population. And that's just the reality of it. But I mean, it's like I said, I've already seen it pretty dramatically change in just even a handful of years. Mm -hmm. Um, so Let's see, let's talk about volunteering. Um, someone wants to volunteer, get involved. What do you suggest they start? Where do they, um, websites? Yeah, you have to be uh, 21 and older. Okay. Uh, you have to pass background check. Okay. Uh, and then I think that there's lots of opportunities. I think, okay. I think that, you know, that could be, um, there's lots of uh, volunteers and visitors who come in to work with these kids. Uh, 
I think that that's a matter of, yeah, going to the websites and just looking into whether or not they have volunteers. I think for uh, higher risk um, young people in the system, um, that's going to be more difficult. Uh, I'd say if you are really interested in it, start by looking at groups like uh, like Salt Lake County Boys and Girls Group Home, I think is a really good one. So, you know, you realize that there is a very direct correlation between youth in the foster care system and youth, youth, in the- youth in the correction system, right? I think that Spy Hop serves kids within those foster care systems. And I've seen multiple times young people who started out in that system because they were brought out of their home for safety reasons, but then they kept running away. You know, you're living on the streets, become addicted to drugs, you know, X, Y, and Z happens. Next thing you know, that kid is now in in the system, Um, which sucks. It really does. It's awful, but it's, it is something that happens more often than it should. So, looking at that first point of contact, it's like before trying to get all the way into getting behind a bunch Mm -hmm. of locked doors, Mm -hmm. it's like meet those kids at that first point of contact. When do they need all of that support before they ever even have a court case opened against them? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, and that's, that's where I think a lot of that preventative work can happen. And that's where a lot of volunteer work I think is needed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so someone who isn't 21, uh, what do you think they could do? <laughs> I actually. Who can't physically get inside the building. I know. I know. I actually am not. That's a really good question. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't have the answer <laughs> for that, but I think, I think that there is, I still think that there is a great need, but I'm not entirely sure, um, what a younger person who's interested in doing that would do. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I think because there's something that I'm actually interested in. I thought you were going to bring this up, but it's fine. I can just talk about it for a little second. Do it. Um, so I read like I like did some research on it and it says that there's something called like the Salt Lake Pier Court, which oh, allows. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I, I totally didn't even think about. Pier okay. Court. Okay. Um, well, why don't you talk about it? Because you, you just barely did some research on that. Yeah. So I so it's pretty much where youth um, teenagers are kind of this, I don't want to really want to say like sentence the kids actually, cause they don't, but they are there as a aid, um, to help these kids who have committed very missed misdemeanors, yes. just like vandalism, not super crazy stuff. Um, they help them get on their feet, kind of mm-hmm. help them make like dis- better yeah, they, decisions. Yeah, they make like recommendations, recommendations right? Okay. Recommendations for, uh, you know, like, it, yeah, you're right. Like kids who are really what they're being sentenced is, uh, you know, whatever their probationary period looks like and, you know, community service hours and things like that. Uh, but yeah, that is actually so. Thank you for reminding me. So I, you know, the uh, local Salt Lake ACLU chapter does a lot of work with young people, with the uh, Salt Lake Peer Court, as well as with the School to Prison Pipeline Project. Really? Yeah, and so that that is a great resource for young, you know, any young person who uh, wants to get involved and wants to be able to 
you know, again, like raise awareness, um, you know, sit in on uh, when there are uh, changes to these house bills. You know, a lot of those groups are involved in that work. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Adam, for being here. Um, this is going to be the end of this interview, but we are. So do you think, do you know anywhere where they can reach you, maybe contact you for any? Adam at spyhop.org. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. And this comes to a close. That is the end of Juvenile System Looking Past the Building. I hope you learned something just as I have as I was going through this process, creating this show. Um, this has been so eye-opening and it's just allowed me to have so much more clarity and even with the whole thing of me not being able to be physically in the building since I'm not of age, but still having to that interview was just so awesome with those with my peers, right? They're my peers. Um, that was awesome, and I enjoyed every single second of it, as I hope you have. So yes, this is the end of our show. I'm Chioma, signing off. We hope you have a good rest of your night. This is ninety point nine Loud and Clear, Cube Radio. Summing in for Radioactive. Good night. But I'm to die. You're listening to 90.9 FM KRCL.